This is Psalm 27. Andrew's broken it down for us into different subheads. So the first one is our confidence. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. And then our strength. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And then our relationship. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And then God's help. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. And then our hope. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And I'm going to pass this over to Andrew. There we go. Now, let me say thank you. But I, I believe that that psalm is so important in this day and age where around us COVID is, is slowly discouraging people. And I read that psalm and I thought, wow, there is amazing truth in that. So perhaps we all need to learn it. And, um, you know, it probably could be read a number of times in church. Now, this morning, I want to take my sermon from Psalm 8. I'm going to go right through the sermon. It's not uh, a long psalm. Um, but I, I would start by asking a question. 
you know, there are some people, when you talk to them, they will say, I, I don't believe in God. And even if they did, they would say, but God would never forgive me, as the Bible tells us, because I have led a terrible life. Um, and he could never forgive them. And that's what they think. But we're going to find out that that's not quite true. In fact, it's not true at all. Now, maybe some of you have even felt at times that you've done things and you, you ask, why would God forgive me? Now, this is a very important matter because, you see, why is God passionate about us receiving his forgiveness? And there are two themes that come out in Psalm 8. The first one is the greatness of God. And that assures the worth of mankind. It assures your worth. And then the second part is that the all-powerful creator who cares for his most important creation, and that is us. And we'll discover that as we go through this psalm. But I believe that in the current climate, uh, it's important that we stop and we reflect just how our Christian lives are going. And we ask, are we actually doing okay in our faith journey? And do we need to be refreshed in our faith journey? You see, I believe we all need refreshing from time to time. Now, last year, when we lived in Japan, um, Lynn and I used to walk around Lake Inokashira Park, um, just along from the church, especially when the autumn colorings were out. And we would go often feeling tired, but we would be refreshed. And so this morning, now I just see that Kent's having some issues. You got that sorted? Yeah, we're good. It's okay. Um, I'm talking to you as Christians um, because we all need to be refreshed and we need to be encouraged in our Christian work and walk. You see, we can get so busy in everything we do and then sometimes we can even take for granted just how important our life is to Jesus Christ and to him and his work. You see, the things and the activities, they consume our lives. And I guess we all understand that and they can take our attention. And sometimes the things of our faith uh, and our trust in God can even take a back seat. This is why I believe we need refreshment. And so we need to stop occasionally to be reflect and reflect and, and be encouraged. Now, if you're a Christian, I guarantee you need encouragement from time to time. If you're not a Christian, I'd love to give you a good reason for becoming one this morning and understanding that God loves you regardless of what you have done. There's nothing you have done that will take away God's love for you. Now, there is a saying, and I say this quite regularly, God does not love what we or I do, but he always loves me. God doesn't always love what we do, but he never stops loving us. So I want to spend some time this morning just reflecting on the absolute greatness of God, because this is what this psalm tells us, and then how valuable as individuals we are to him, and I hope you'll be encouraged. Psalm 8 is a very encouraging psalm. David, who wrote it, wants us to be refreshed by seeing that. 
And so we're covering those two topics, the greatness of God, and that assures the worth of mankind, you and I, and the all-powerful creator, he cares for us as most valuable creation. Now, sadly, many people, many, many people who are not followers of Jesus Christ don't consider the Christian faith important. They go after other things. But what they don't realize is that these truths, and they miss out on the greatest good news that this world can know. They might have everything else, but they're actually missing out on an amazing truth. Now let's read Psalm 8. I'll read right through it. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all the flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now I'm going to go through the verse and we'll study each verse and just see what it brings out, the truth that it brings out. The first point being made in verse 1 is the majesty of God. Psalm 8 starts by declaring that God is deserving of a title that shows his status of who he is. And it starts with Lord, our Lord. Now the dictionary definition of Lord is one having power and authority over others. So here is God being given a title, given a status, a status that elevates him above everything and everyone else. Lord, our Lord. You see, no one alive has ever lived, has the power or authority that God has. Revelation 19 verse 16 tells us, On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, he is the Lord of indisputable status. He is above everything else. He is above every other law that's ever been made by humans. And you see, David also acknowledges and declares God is not only just a Lord, but our Lord. He makes it very personal to each one of us. That's amazing that he goes, God, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord when we choose him. David is writing this psalm and he shows. Now, remember that David was a king. He was the king of Israel. He was the highest power in his land, and he understood kingly authority, but he also understood that God, his authority was greater than his. And so when he wrote this psalm, he understood the power and the authority, but he elevated God to the rightful place. And David goes on to say, 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now the Amplified Version puts it this way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic and glorious and excellent is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Now this word majestic, referring to God, means, and I'll read it out, the revealed splendor of God beyond our imagining in all that he says and does. It's beautiful, it's powerful, and it causes great admiration and respect. That's why we call God majestic, because he is above. He's above everything else. He's beautiful, he's powerful, and he causes great admiration and respect. Now, David and the psalmist marveling just how majestic and how marvellous our God is. And he only had to look. He would have gone out perhaps on a dark night, looked up into the sky, and what he saw overwhelmed him. He saw God's power created the world with his breath. He created everything that exists. He spoke. And in Job 33 verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And David saw this in the heavens. But let me say this, that there are many faiths, there are many religion uh, practice around the world, but no religious sect leader, no matter how many followers they have, can ever achieve what God has done. God is unique. He is above everything else. And that's the God that we serve. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, it says here, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. That puts God into his, his rightful place. Man has tried to create all sorts of things to worship. Uh, they make images. They, they, people bow down to things that there's no life. And here David is saying, but you, Lord, are above everything. Our Lord is above everything. Now, in First Chronicles, let's get some scripture which support this. First Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honour and majesty. Then we go to Jude, chapter 1, verse 25. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. These are amazing verses because they're talking about the power, the majesty, the glory of God. Then we go to Psalm 113, verse 2 and verse 4, and it gives further reason to call God majestic. You have set your glory in the heavens. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Psalm 148, verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth 
and the heavens. Now I said before, have you ever stood on a dark spot where there's no street lights and you've looked into the heavens? Uh, I've had the opportunity to do that away from city lights and it's just glorious what you see up there. <clears throat> but you see, our view of the heavens is very limited. The Hubble telescope that they put into space uh, where there's no nothing you can get in the way, it sends us pictures and stars that are incredible, indescribable with colour and patterns and beauty. We can get a picture through a telescope, but it's beyond our imagination just what a great splendour is happening in the heavens. And there are some amazing shots that have been taken that show us beauty that we just can't imagine. But this describes how great and powerful our God is. And we are very small by comparison. And I guess to respect God's greatness, we must compare ourselves to his greatness. Now, it goes on. The next verse changes tack, but it's important. It says, through the praise of children and infants, and this is in verse 2, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, if you're a parent who's got children, you'll know that they're very uncomplicated in what they say. Whatever comes to mind, they'll sometimes say it out loud. Now, children are able to trust and praise God without any reservations. Um, this comes out in Scripture. But, you know, as we get older, sometimes we find it a little bit more difficult. We become reserved and we don't praise God with the same way children do. Now, do we need to get back to a childlike faith and perhaps remove any barriers to having a closer walk with him? We need to be like children, totally honest. Now, when Jesus was being attacked for speaking about and demonstrating the power of God, he was in the temple and the religious Jews uh, came at him. But the children there spoke the truth as this verse has been telling us. Matthew 21, 12 to 17. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them, but there was opposition, a foe, as that verse mentioned. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Did you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read... From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And I believe it's important that we get back to a childlike simplicity and we accept and worship Jesus Christ with simple, uncomplicated, childlike honesty and worship. But it's really just, I think it's put in the middle of Psalm 8 just to tell us that the world might oppose, but children have the capacity to be able to praise like we should. But then, 
David changes tack and he asks a very important question. He says to God, if you are so majestic, so powerful and above all else, and here goes the question, why do you really care about us? Some of you may have thought that. Why does God care about us? And that's really what I want this message to actually get through. Um, and it says in verse 3 and 4, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Then he asked a question. Um, why a God who is flawless and outstanding then he's bluntly honest with this question, asking, what is mankind, you and I, that you are mindful of them, or let's personalise it, us, human beings, that you care for them? You see, he's asking, how can the king of kings, who has everything, even bother with us humans? Now, if you struggle with that question, why does he bother with us? You listen to the next part. You see, we often live lives that dishonor God and Jesus Christ. We live lives that show little respect at times. And so he's saying, why do you care for people who are so quick to disobey you? Now, I know that's not all of you, but I certainly do because I'm human. And I don't show respect in the way you ask me to live. And so this is a very personal thing as well. As humans, we're quick to judge you notice how you will judge people around you. Um, we sometimes struggle with people ourselves who don't live according to our lifestyle standards, who disrespect our society's rules. Now, we saw this last year while traveling on trains in Japan. The voice used to come over, turn off your phones. Don't speak on your phones. Use them to push the buttons, but don't speak on them. But we saw a young tourist who was just in front of us yabbering away, top of his voice, using his phone. He did not respect what was being asked of him. He didn't show any respect. And I guess people saw that and thought that. And David here is asking, how can the king of kings, who has everything, who's beyond everything, even bother with us humans? Now, our lives, sometimes we do live lives of dishonor. Um, and we do not often show all the respect towards a holy God that we should. But, you know, when we look at the world through our eyes, we have to say, but, you know, it's interesting. The wealthy and the famous, do they really care about the poor? Um, our powerful rulers, do they care about people who are less than them in their society? Now, I want you to reflect because you come from different parts of the globe, a very influential person in your country, and ask, why would this person even bother to care about you? Maybe you're just one of millions, but you're well below them in status, power, and wealth. Um, and we do think, why would these powerful leaders who are so busy with all the things that they have control over care about and want a relationship with me? Now, if you come from the States, maybe you wouldn't expect the president to come and know you. If you're English, you'd be surprised if the queen bothered. If you're Japanese, you would know the emperor would probably not come and knock on your door. But if I was a new, and I am a New Zealander, 
Um, I wouldn't expect the Prime Minister to come to see me. You see, these people are very important. Um, they only want to know the powerful people. But listen to this. This is so important. Here's a biblical truth that you must grasp. It must sink in. This is not how God works or thinks. And I'll say that again. This is not how God works or thinks. Our majestic God, the person we have just painted this incredible picture of, um, he's greater. He's far greater than anybody else, than the president, the queen, the emperor, the prime minister, or any earthly ruler. He's greater than a lot of them. He isn't concerned about the things that the world regards as important. You see, he's not interested in your status or your wealth or your race or all your achievements. And you remember our holy God may not love what we do, but he never stops loving us. I'll say this, he loves you just as you are. Now we must get this truth firmly fixed in our minds and hearts. We're coming up to Christmas and that's where there's an amazing lot of talk about the birth of Jesus. And next week we'll be talking about that again. But, you know, he loves us. He loves all of us just as we are. Um, now, if you're sitting by yourself, don't talk to yourself. But if you're next to someone, turn to them and just say this to them. God loves you. They may never have heard that. He created you and he knew you before you were even born. That's how important you are to God. I read this in Jeremiah 1 uh, verse 5, and it's a verse describing Jeremiah, but I believe it's applicable to each one of us. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. That's amazing that God knew you before you were even born. That's why he loves you. He cares for you. Now, let's go and talk about a reality. You may have lived a really sinful life. And you may think that God couldn't possibly forgive. But you see, he loves you and he wants you to have a relationship with him. That's how important it is. He does not regard what you have done as a block to being loved by him. Yeah, there are other certain things you will miss out and we read that in scripture. But he loves you despite of what you've done. He longs for you to accept his son, Jesus. And he longs for you to ask for and receive his forgiveness for sins because he will certainly give it to you john 3 16 and 17 tells us now you've heard this voice this verse but listen again for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He doesn't want to condemn you because of the choices you've made. You've got to put those things right. You've got to seek his forgiveness and he will offer it to you. He will give it to you. He loves to do it. Now, if you've never thought about this truth, say to yourself the most important statement that you could ever make. God loves me, I am very important to God. Then say it again, put it on your refrigerator on a stick it on note so that 
you can be reminded every day that God loves you. And when life gets hard, and it can get very hard, very complicated, don't despair. Remember that God loves you. And I believe it, it will be like walking around a beautiful lake full of autumn colorings. Uh, you will be refreshed. Now, when we look at the vast expanse of creation and we wonder how God could be concerned for people who constantly disappoint him, and we read that right through scripture, that from, uh, from basically the time Adam was born, man has disappointed a holy God. And he even tried to eliminate everyone except Noah just to start again. But he tells us um, we are important. And how do we get that? We look at verses 5 to 8 in Psalm 8. He's talking about us. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. That's the people that have been created. Um, you see, next time you question your worth, as a person, remember that God considers you very highly and very valuable to his work. You see, God has already declared how valuable we are to him. And we can be set free from the feelings of worthlessness. And that is something that you need to get into your thinking. If you feel you're worthless before God, you are wrong, totally wrong. He loves you, he cares for you, and he wants a relationship. And God gave human beings tremendous authority. He gave us to be in charge of his works, his managers of the whole world. And we read in verse 6 to 8 in Psalm 8, you made them or us rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals in the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. You see, when God created Adam, he made him overall. He gave him dominion. Now, we know, sadly, that when Adam disobeyed God, he, he lost that authority. Uh, he, he lost that dominion. Um, and because they sinned, man's never been able to fulfill the destiny in which God created, namely to be, I believe, the kings of the earth, you know, people who rule with or for him. But God still loves to walk and talk with us. He does it through his Holy Spirit. I can talk to God, and uh, it's mentioned, Ken mentioned, you know, before. Um, God does love us when we talk. We, he talk. we talk through Jesus Christ, who stands before God and presents what we ask to him. And he also desires our company. Do you realize that the most majestic person in the world loves your company? Now, that's an awesome, awesome thought. We read in Genesis 3, 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You see, God would come down and walk with man. This was before man disobeyed, and it was just the fact that they had disobeyed that they suddenly realized that, and says the Bible, that they just saw that they were naked, and they embarrassed, but before that, there was this perfect relationship, and God enjoyed it. Satan hated it. He did everything he could to try and destroy the relationship, and we know that he was effective, and he still works very hard at it. Um, 
Isaiah 14, 12 to 14 tells us how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, he must have laughed when sin came and destroyed that close relationship. But you see, God didn't stop there. He was determined to put this situation right. Jesus came. We've got Christmas in the next three weeks to celebrate the fact that Jesus came. Why? To restore the unique relationship. Man's sin or rebellion towards a holy God needed a penalty to be paid. God expected that. And we know that Jesus, when he went to the cross 30-odd years later, that he gave his blood. That was a sacrifice. But he wasn't, he didn't die. He died for three days and then he rose again. He defeated death. He defeated the power of Satan and he rose again. Then we read in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. He might have suffered on the cross, but... After that, he defeated death, he defeated the power and the work of Satan, which still exists, but he defeated the authority that Satan had. And God exalted him, gave him a name above all names. He is majestic and awesome and worthy of being called our Lord. Through Jesus' death on the cross, God has made it possible for all men to choose at once or to once again to be part of God's family, simply by accepting Jesus as God's son. Listen to this, if you've never become a Christian, all you have to do is accept the fact that Jesus is God's son, that he did die for you. You may not understand it, but you accept that as being a truth. Um, then you ask God for the forgiveness, and you become forgiven, redeemed. The price has been paid for your sin, and God loves it. He, he says, I'll forgive. Now, let me tell you this. If you have done something that you think God could never forgive me for, you are wrong. Spelt with a capital W. You really are wrong because God not only loves you, but he also desires your relationship, your friendship. He loves to be able to talk to you, to guide you through life, through his Holy Spirit. You are in a, an incredible position. And every one of you in this church who is a Christian, um, you listen, you go back and read Psalm 27 that we read before. That's powerful because it tells you who you are in a time when the rest of the world is really struggling. He wants you as part of his family. We become followers of Jesus Christ. We've given the gift that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's the importance of becoming a believing following, serving Christian. One day we will be standing face to the face with the King of Kings. That's who we described at the beginning. He said, above everything else, you will stand and gaze on his beauty. Today we can say with glad hearts that God loves us. 
He is above all else, yet his greatest desire about everything else is to simply have a relation with a relationship with you. Now, in conclusion, I would ask you a question. Can you call Jesus Lord? You see, it's entirely up to you today to respond to his offer of love. His offer to be part of his eternal family, to receive his gift of the Holy Spirit, to help you as you live each day. You want to go into the week tomorrow knowing that you've got help all along, someone to guide you, someone to care for you, someone to give you wisdom, and in this difficult day, someone to give you hope and strength and courage. And that is why a relationship with God is so important. We don't have to fear, even though things around us might be turning what I would call to custard. Things are going bad. It'll be the most important decision you have ever made. And then let's finish. You will be able to say with David in verse 9, with absolute certainty, you'll be able to say this. You are my, you are Lord, my Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, talking to you, you feel, yeah, I'd love to have that relationship. Well, begin. Talk to Kent afterwards and say, I'd love to find out more. Be guided, be encouraged, and grow the way that you were meant to do in relationship with the King above all kings, uh, with Jesus Christ, who is above every other name. He will be your friend, your mentor, your guide through the Holy Spirit. What a relationship that would be. What a way to end the year. What a way to start a new, new year. So bless you in your journey. And um, thank you again for the opportunity just to be able to share what I see as important biblical truth.